All right, I'm going to actually have Luke Lamas come on up. Um, hopefully, you guys have been encouraged. Um, yeah, you can give him a round of applause. There you go. Hopefully, you guys have been encouraged over this summer being able to hear other pastors and leaders in our church community to be able to communicate and teach God's word. Um, and my, my hope is that it has been encouraging for you guys. Uh, Luke is, is an amazing brother. I'm excited to be able to uh, share and just allow him to be able to communicate and speak. So let me pray for you, bro. Thank you. God, thank you for Luke, and I just pray that as he communicates and brings forth your word, that you would give him just strength and empowerment. Thank you, God, for the giftings that you've given him. Thank you for the incredible influence that you've given him over hundreds, if not thousands, of students all throughout the Central Coast. So, God, move in him, move through him, move upon him, and uh, bring your word through him today, we pray and ask of these things in Jesus' name. We all said? Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yes. Thanks, Brian. You got it. All right. Good morning. Good to see you guys. It's good to be back. I think I had the chance to share um, about two and a half, maybe, two, or it wouldn't be half, three weeks ago. Uh, and it has been great being a part of this series this summer as we've been going through the book of Acts. It's great having Pastor Brian uh, back with us. Uh, can we put our hands together for our pastor and his family and just all that they do to serve this church? Um, I've only taught here at Calvary a couple times. I realized it's the first time I've taught with Brian, like, in the house, and I got a little more nervous for some reason. I don't know. But, uh, but you guys, I'm just, uh, it's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to, to be with you, to teach God's Word, um, to talk about some of the challenging truths of Scripture, and to continue to study this story uh, through the book of Acts. There's a shift and kind of a, a refocus in this part of Acts. And because we will be starting a new series, we may have to come back around to get the rest of the story of, of the book of Acts. Um, but really, uh, many have, will say that the book of Acts is a book that isn't complete or never really concluded, that it's actually continuing on to this day and being lived out through the church in the world, uh, all around the world uh, to this day, as God continues his redemptive plan throughout the world. And as the Great Commission continues to be fulfilled, as it was started with Peter and the early apostles, and then with Paul and Barnabas and others. And so we are still living the book of Acts today. Amen? And to mor- this morning, we're going to be challenged uh, with that reality that we are called to be very much a part of this work of God in the world and to reflect and look at how we are doing that and so on. So uh, we're in chapter 13. If you have a Bible, we can pass them out. Um, we're going to be last verse of chapter 12 and then uh, the first five verses or so in the book of chapter 13. And really the purpose this morning uh, of this time is to look at the beginning, uh, kind of seminal part of Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Saul, as they begin their first initial missionary journey. And we're going to be looking at the call and commission of Barnabas and Saul um, through the church in Antioch in this kind of initial uh, time, and then look at some of the early places that they went, first places that they went, and then kind of be challenged with an application of God's call on our own lives. So that's, that's a little bit of where we're at. Um, if you are joining us and maybe haven't been through this series in Acts, again, we're going through the book of Acts, and there's been many different stories and encounters of what God has done through the early church. And we've seen up to this point uh, a lot with Peter and his preaching, uh, a vision that he received, the ministry of the gospel beginning to reach out to the Gentiles, as well as the conversion of Paul. And the book of Acts is... It's, it's like a, a great, well, it is an incredible story, the greatest stories, 
but it's also like a great movie as this author Luke is editing it together where it kind of jumps from one scene to another. And if you, you know, any good movie, it's kind of like, you know, there's different character development and things that are taking place. And then I think of like the show Lost, if some of you guys have seen that, or, or other good shows, you know, and there's all these different characters and, and sometimes it'll go really deep into one area and then it'll break really quick and jump to like a whole nother place and a whole nother scene and you're in a, in a whole nother, and it's like, oh yeah, those characters and what are they doing? And all these things are happening kind of simultaneous, but it's emphasizing or focusing on different parts of the story. Does that make sense? And so here, uh, we're going to now shift again as we've been looking a lot with Peter. We heard a little bit about Paul and saw this amazing conversion on his road to Damascus. And then there was kind of a shift. And oh, and now, you know, uh, Peter had this vision in this dream and it's, it's off to kind of Peter's story. And, and then now it's kind of coming back around to Paul. And so we'll go ahead and read this. Um, again, we'll start in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, and then 13, 1 through 5. So let me read, we'll pray, and we'll, we'll jump into it. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone who's uh, gathered here, that we can meet together for worship, for the teaching of your word, Lord, for communion, for fellowship. And Lord, I just thank you for our church family. And I, I thank you, God, that um, you're a God who is at work all over the world, that's been at work throughout history. And Lord, you're at work in our lives today. And God, just as you had a call and a commission um, on the church 2,000 years ago, you have a call and a commission on us as the church today. And I pray, Lord, that we would take that seriously, that we would hear and receive from you this morning, and Lord, that we would be mindful of how you want to use our lives to fulfill your great commission, to reach all nations, uh, to bring you glory um, from here on the Central Coast, through our families, through this community, um, but Lord, also how you might use us um, to be about, be about your work all around the world. We love you, Lord, and we just submit this morning to you in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so... As we look at this passage, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So finishing their service is kind of some things we'll, we'll kind of want to unpack uh, from this. And just kind of jumping in um, and or looking at a little bit of it, this is kind of the framework of what we're going to talk about today, kind of three major points of emphasis. Uh, first is that God called Barnabas and Saul and set them apart through the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at the significance of that. Um, we may know that or be familiar with that. Or we kind of hear about, yeah, Paul, obviously, was somebody who was called from God. He's an amazing man. He wrote much of the New Testament. He had this radical Damascus experience. You know, he seemed to have a little bit maybe more of a call than, than others. We could think that way. But what we'll see is how profound this really is that God would, would call somebody. Um, it says the church commissioned Barnabas and Saul for the work of God or the work that God had prepared for them to do. So even though the calling came from God, 
the church had a role in commissioning Barnabas and Saul for this work. And then the third part, Barnabas and Saul were obedient to God's calling on their life. I think it's possible that God may have a, a call and a desire for someone's life, and they can refuse or try to rebel against that. God, in the end, sometimes has his way of working things out, but is it possible that people will try to rebel against God's call in life? Anybody's name stand out? In the Old Testament? Big whale? Somebody shout it out. What's his name? Jonah, thank you. Yeah, so, so we can sometimes resist or rebel against God's call. And here what we see is um, that Barnabas and Saul were obedient to God's call in their life. So we'll look at those things, and then we're going to get into some applications. So let's look at the, um, but first, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about, well, let's go with this. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And John Mark was a relative of Barnabas, either his cousin or his nephew, and came with him after they had returned from Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about why they were returning back from there in a second. If you go to the next one, it says, now there was in the church of Antioch, okay, sorry, so before this part, can you go to the slide with Barnabas? I named, I titled this, The Call and Commission of Barnabas and Saul. When you think of Barnabas and Saul, how was it usually said? It's usually Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, right? Paul's first, and then you have Barnabas as kind of his companion or his supporter. What I wanted to kind of bring to our attention or notice is that actually in this passage, it says that the Holy Spirit set apart or called Barnabas and Saul. And there's kind of this emphasis initially with Barnabas. And what you see in the church, I was kind of looking back over some of the history and some of the events that took place. You kind of got to search for it because it's little statements here and there about the role that Barnabas played in Paul's life. Barnabas was, was an incredible man. Um, if we go to the passage in um, Acts 4, a little background on, uh, on Barnabas. I can read it for us. It says in Acts 4, 36, it says, Thus Joseph who is also called by the Apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the Apostles' feet. So this is a little bit of background about Barnabas. Again, some of these characters in this portion of Scripture that we're talking about. Barnabas was a man who was a man of means. He had wealth. And his original name was Joseph, and he was given this nickname. A lot of times people had names that had significant uh, meaning to them. Uh, some of you know, my wife Katie and I uh, just had a child about a month and a half ago, and uh, we were planning the name and had some uh, discussion about the middle name and what it was going to be. Nice way of saying it. And, and we were trying to think, of, and Katie was really big on, well, what's the meaning of these names? What's the meaning of the name? And in her family, her parents gave all of their kids names with significant meanings. And maybe you know the meaning of your name. And uh, here with Barnabas, they gave him this nickname, which means son of encouragement. That Barnabas was a man who had the gift of encouragement and would come alongside and encourage those. He also gave a large field and a lot of money to the church, probably pretty encouraging to the church to receive that donation, but he was the son of encouragement. And so Barnabas was a man who was, I guess you could say he was fully committed. His life had been transformed by the gospel and he was committed to the work of what God was doing and wanted to participate and contribute in any way that he could. Do you see that in Barnabas' life? And so what we hear, actually, in the next passage is that um, Barnabas, as Paul was originally converted, he left Damascus, and he was kind of traveling about, and he wanted to come to Jerusalem. It says, this is in Acts 29, or 9.26, it says that when he had come to Jerusalem, this is talking about Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. 
and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was, in fact, a disciple. So they didn't believe it. And then it goes on to say, um, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how, the, how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly, this is Paul, in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So a little bit of background about our story today and and kind of the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. After Paul was converted, after he had this conversion experience, he went to Jerusalem and everybody was afraid of him because he was a persecutor of the church. But Barnabas believed in Saul. And he said, no, come with me. And he took him to the disciples. He took him to the apostles and he said, hey, I can vouch for this guy. I saw the work that God did in his life. He was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And so they received him in there in Jerusalem. And Paul began to minister there and preach, and and he was was opposed. People were um, trying to hinder what he was doing, and eventually he was life is threatened. That kind of seems to be a common theme with Paul's ministry. And so he ends up uh, getting sent to Tarsus. Do you see that? And so just kind of by background, Barnabas is somebody who was an encouragement to the church, and he was somebody who was an advocate on behalf of Saul. And then I see it as kind of almost like a um, spiritual encourager, mentor, almost father to Paul. Even though we think of Paul as kind of Barnabas being, you know, a helper t- to Paul, he was there really at the beginning to bring Paul along. And then he sends him off. We know that Paul had three years in Arabia. And then he was in, in Tarsus for an extended period of time. And so then in chapter 11 of Acts, again with uh, Paul and Barnabas, this next passage, Barnabas kind of plays a role again in getting Saul involved. And so it says in Acts 11.25, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So basically, what you had taking place was there was a lot of ministry happening in Antioch and, and other places that, that um, there was, they were getting a ministry report in Jerusalem about all these things that were happening. And they had, Barnabas was going to go up there and to check things out and to see how it was going. And when he did that, there was so much work to be done that he actually went and found Paul and said, Hey, Paul, you've got to come and help with this. So during this kind of extended time apart, Barnabas is in Jerusalem, Paul is in Tarsus, Barnabas goes up there, finds Paul, and then they begin to work together in Antioch. Okay? That, so that's kind of what, was, what had taken place. After they're working together in Antioch, there was this um, a prophecy about a famine that was coming. And a huge famine kind of hit the whole area, and the churches in Jerusalem and Judea were really suffering. And so Barnabas and Saul went around and collected resources and funds from a lot of the churches in that area to provide a gift of support for the church in Jerusalem. So they did this kind of little expedition together. You can hear about this a little bit in some of Paul's letters when they were doing this. And they go and they gather resources from throughout uh, Galatia, that area where they would have been, Antioch area. And then they took all those resources down to Jerusalem. They made a gift to the church and then they traveled back. And that brings us to where we are at in, in our passage. And in the meantime, Peter was doing all of his stuff and this was kind of going on in another area. So Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem after having made that gift when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose name was Mark. Now, they were with the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so you have this, this group, and it talks about them beginning to pray and to fast and to worship God. And it, I don't know if it's totally clear there whether it's just these five that were praying, 
and worshiping, or if it's mentioning them as the five elders and teachers of this church congregation that were gathering with the people as the whole congregation was worshiping, but nonetheless, they're there fasting and praying and worshiping um, the Lord. And a couple of just comments about this group. What we see here is a very diverse group. Antioch was a very diverse church, and you have people from ethnic, different ethnic backgrounds. Niger was uh, from kind of an African descent. You have um, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, so you have some... Can you go back to the slide real quick? Sorry. Uh, you have um, uh, Menaean, who's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So they talk about this guy as somebody who actually would have been, had like the same wet nurse or have grown up with Herod the Tetrarch. So he's basically like the close friend of the prince, almost like in the royal household and so on. But he's now an elder and a leader in this church. And so he would have been somebody of, of great you know, means or influence in the culture. And then you also had um, uh, Barnabas, we know a little bit about his background, Simon, who's called Niger, Lucius, who's from Cyrene, so a totally other area, and then Saul, who was a Pharisee and you know, a strong religious background. So you have a very diverse group of, of leaders who were all teachers and prophets for this church in Antioch. And we see a shift in this passage of Scripture where it kind of is no longer focusing on Peter and starting to begin to focus on Paul and, and Barnabas. You also have a shift of the focus of kind of the, the church center being from Jerusalem. Now it's kind of a shift of focus. And teach, Paul, Luke's teaching us a lot about what's happening in Antioch. It's kind of a, a center place of the work of God and a lot of the ministry that's happening. And this is you know, north of Israel, up uh, in modern-day, I guess it would be uh, north of Syria, in, in Turkey, modern Turkey, I believe. I may be wrong on that. Um, and so you have this diverse group. And then if we go to the, the next, next part, it says here, it says, God, call, God called Barnabas and Saul and set them apart through the Holy Spirit. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work for which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. So you see this group who is praying, worshiping God, going without, they were fasting. And they were expectant and wanting God to move in their midst. And they were wanting to be obedient to what God was, was doing in the world. And at this point, Paul had already had about over a decade of uh, Christian ministry and service. Maybe a little bit more than that, maybe 11, 12 years. Uh, he had his time in Tarsus. He had his three years in Arabia. He had been doing ministry. He had actually been preaching already to the Gentiles. Some of his letters depict some of the stuff that he was doing at this time. So he'd already been doing ministry and traveling, but a lot of it was in that central area around Tarsus. And now, Barnabas and Paul, through the, the, the commissioning and the call of the Holy Spirit, are set apart to go on a new missionary journey, a new endeavor uh, for the Lord to seek to fulfill this commission, to take the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation. So the Holy Spirit set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. A couple of things I want to kind of point out here. It says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, one we see kind of an emphasis on the Trinity here, God the Holy Spirit is speaking or moving in their hearts to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work which he had already prepared for them to do. 
I think an incredible truth that we can take from this is that God is at work in the world. And God has ministry and good works. We'll look at this more in a little bit. He has things that he wants your life to accomplish. He had ministry already prepared for Saul and Barnabas. And he was preparing them throughout their life for this work. So the Holy Spirit had already set apart for me, Ball and Barnabas, for the work for which I have called them. And then it goes on and it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had gone to assist him. So in this next part, it says the church commissioned Barnabas and Saul for the work that God had prepared them to do. They laid hands on them. Um, we just did a leadership camp for some of our, I, I'm, if, I'm on, in ministry with an organization called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So we get to work with a lot of the high schools here in the Central Coast and Cal Poly. We have a lot of student leaders that we kind of train and equip every year. It's, it's pretty exciting to see young kids uh, stand up and begin to use their gifts and communicate their faith to their peers through these uh, equal access clubs at the schools and so on. But we recently had a leadership camp at Forest Home Ojai. And at the end of it, you know, we, we did a lot of training with the kids. You know, uh, Paul teaches Timothy, don't let people look down on you for your youth because you are young, but set an example for believers in life and faith and conduct and purity and so on. And we talked about these things, what it means to be a servant leader and how to run a ministry at their school and how to share the testimony, how to share the gospel. And at the end of it, we kind of brought them together and we said, okay, this is now a time where we're going to commission you guys for this year that's ahead. And we, would lay hand, we kind of laid hands on them, gathered them in a circle and prayed over them and commissioned these young kids. And you could see this sense of like, wow, this matters. This is important. Me being the captain of my FCA club at Rio Grande High School matters. This is bigger than my, myself. I'm being commissioned for something that, that God is wanting me to do, even as a sophomore in high school or a junior in high school. And whether it's on a small scale like that or something like this, where, you know, the, the, the beginning of the, the early church, we see that the Holy Spirit is commissioning them and they would lay hands on people and send them out. This church is a missionary church, a missions-based, missions-focused church. And we have missionaries uh, around the world, in Brazil, in Ukraine, and, and other places. And we get the opportunity when they're here in town to pray for them. Many of them have gone through training through this church and then been commissioned and sent out for the work of God in in different parts of the world. And so God is still doing this today, but we see here that the church laid hands on them and commissioned Barnabas and Saul for the work that God prepared for them to do. All right, let me go to the the next one. I think actually this is that. After fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and then sent them out. And then the last one, last point on here from this is that Barnabas and Saul were obedient to God's call in their lives. So in that passage, in the next one, it says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in every synagogue of the Jews. They had John, and they had John to assist them. So this is the beginning of Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul's first missionary journey. We see actually in a couple verses later that they start to begin to call Saul Barnabas. And sometimes we think about, okay, maybe because of this big conversion, that's why Saul's name changed to Barnabas, right? It was kind of like this, this ceremonial thing. But actually, Paul, or Saul, was called uh, Paul based on where he was. Um, Paul was actually his Roman name. Saul was his new Hebrew name. So as he began to travel to these new places, they would call him Paul based on his Roman name. We know that he took advantage of his Roman citizenship when he was being persecuted at times. And so Paul was simply his Roman name. I don't think it had was some type of big um, part of his conversion. It was just more of what he was called. 
And so that's why he began to be called Paul as he would travel. But let me point out this here. It says that they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had, um, and they had John to assist them. So what you hear, have here is that they leave Antioch. They go to Seleucium. This is kind of a close city, a port city. And then they take a boat. Actually, I think there's a map on here. That will, that will help for all visual learners, right? So you see that they go from uh, Antioch over here on the right to Seleucia. And then they, they take a boat over to Salamis. And that's kind of where we'll, we'll stop in terms of as much of their journey. And as you remember from Acts chapter 4, Barnabas is actually from Cyprus. So he would have been familiar with this area. And his nephew, uh, John, may have also been from that area. And so John Mark joins them. He's probably helping them carry a lot of equipment. He was assisting them. And they get over to Salamis, and they begin to preach the word of God. And where did they go first? What was the places that they went to first? They would go to the synagogue. And really, the reason that there were many Jews in this area is because of the diaspora. And the diaspora was the early, uh, was the, the, basically through the Assyrians who had come in and conquered Israel, and the Babylonians who had come in and conquered Israel, a lot of the Jews had been displaced, and they had been separated to a lot of the different parts of the world. And so there were Jews scattered throughout uh, a lot of the known world at the time. And so Paul and Barnabas are going first to the synagogues, and they would begin to preach there, hoping that many of the Jews would come to see Jesus as the Messiah, to worship him as the Christ, and then kind of join them in this, uh, in this work that they were doing. As we know, that didn't always go as well as they had hoped. Many of the Jews would reject them. Eventually, they'd have to kind of wipe the dust off of their feet and focus more on, on reaching the Gentiles. And Paul becomes a light to the Gentiles, as, as we'll see at some point when we come back maybe to Acts and, and cover all of that. But what here we see here is that they were faithful and they were obedient. The church laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit had called them, and they were sent out, and they began this missionary journey. Let me ask you guys a question, just kind of by show, show of hands, and maybe you can say where. How many of you have ever been on a missions trip before? Raise your hand if you've been on a missions trip. Okay. So many of us, you've had experiences of a missionary journey, your own missionary journey. Maybe it was two weeks, maybe it was nine months, maybe it was shorter, longer. I just wanted to let us just share some of the places that God has called us, or some of the places that we have gone uh, on mission trips. If you can kind of keep your hand up, if, if you're willing to share, what are some of the places that you've, you've been? To Bolivia? Okay, to Bolivia? Yeah. Okay, New Zealand. Six years. That's a long missions trip. That's, that's like, okay. Yeah. El Salvador? Okay. China and Thailand? Okay, Mexicali, Mexico? I saw a lot of hands, so just go ahead and raise it up real quick and shout them out. Where's some other places? What? Mexico. Mexico? Anybody else been to Mexico? Mission trip to Mexico? Build houses? Okay, many of us. Awesome. I think that was one of my first uh, cross-cultural experiences was in Mexico building houses. Where else? Where are some other places? Romania. Bucharest. Okay. Costa Rica. And your mission trip has continued because you're still there. Five, six years later? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Zambia, Madagascar, Australia. Yeah. That's a lot. And I'm glad you included San Diego. That counts. Okay. Yeah. What else? Where else? Peru? Russia and Africa? Okay. Yeah. Mozambique? Pointing at my wife. She hasn't raised a hand. I'm just kidding. South Korea? 
Dominican Republic? London? Sweden? Sweden? Ukraine? Long time, yeah. San Francisco also counts, very much so. Yeah, where else? Yeah. Kuwait? I, somebody should write these down. I feel like we're about to hit every continent. Please, somebody been to Antarctica? Anybody? No? Man, can we put our hands together for that? Praise God. Let me see where the, the clock. What do I, what do I go to? A whole longer. I was going to do it, take a moment to actually let some of you guys come up and I have another mic and share. I, I may not have time to do it. But you can imagine if those of you who have been to all of these places could share stories of the work that you have seen God do through these journeys, through these trips, through your faithfulness or obedience when God said, hey, I have a call in your life. I want to commission you. I want to send you to a place to go and do my work. You can imagine just the stories in this room of your many experiences of the things that God has done. How many of you have formed lifelong friendships or deepened experiences through the experiences you've had with people that you've traveled with around the world? I think, I think most of you. You can imagine the, the, the bond Barnabas and Paul would have had. You can see really the pain that happens when John Mark chooses to leave them uh, on this missionary journey at the end that causes conflict in the future. I know for me some of the deepest, most meaningful relationships I've ever formed are with people that I've served with on mission trips, places like Egypt or Israel or Kenya. Uh, next month, we're t- going to India to be part of a sports uh, ministry conference. We've gone to India the last couple of years with FCA doing sports ministry and stuff. And I'm excited and anticipate how the Lord will deepen some of the relationships with a guy named Anmal that we'll be working with and helping him with a soccer team that he coaches that does ministry in, in the area of Ranchi. God, God you, you know, brings people together to serve in these teams, to work together, to labor alongside one another to fulfill his work. And a lot of times in those journeys, in those trips, you suffer hardship. There's sometimes persecution. There's difficulty. There's injury. There's sickness. There's spiritual warfare. And you rely on the people that you're with to take you through it. And you rely on the Lord. I know for me, some of the deepest um, experiences with the Lord that I've ever had are from times of being injured in Egypt or different things that have have taken place. And so the, the point is, is that Barnabas and Saul being obedient are embarking, they're in the beginning stages of embarking on a, what ends up becoming multiple missionary journeys throughout their lives and Paul's life. And they're beginning this thing, which is there's uncertainty, there's some fear, there's the unknown, but there's the excitement and enthusiasm, enthusiasm saying we're being a part of what God is doing in the world. This is bigger than just us. We get to go and make a difference and proclaim the good news, which is the, the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation. And Later on in this journey, Paul gets stoned and Lystra. I mean, there's some heavy things that happen. Soon they're going to have a big confrontation with a false teacher. But God is at work moving in their lives and through their lives to fulfill his great commission. So I want to talk about a couple applications um, for us that I, I see from these passages. First is that God has a call and commission on our life as well. Second is we are called to love God, love people, and to make disciples. And third, we must learn to steward what God has entrusted us or given to us in order to fulfill his call in our lives. So that first one, I want to just share a couple of passages. This idea of being called, I'll do a little bit of research and a list of, you know, close to over 20 passages without looking that hard about God's call on people's lives or on God's call in our lives. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, 
for the gift and calling of, of God are irrevocable. Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore I, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, it was, For this he called you through the gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And he goes on. There's, there's a lot more. But you get the idea that God is, has a call on our lives. If you are here today and you may be, you're, you're searching, you're seeking, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you have a lot of questions or doubts, the reality is that God is a God who desires a relationship with you. He's calling out to you. He wants you to come enter into his family, to be a part of his kingdom, and then to participate in his call on your life and his commission in the world. If you are a Christian, most of us, I assume, are believers. God has a call on our lives. How many of you have ever asked the question, what's God's will for my life? What is God calling me to? What does God want me to do in this circumstance or this situation? Sometimes it can be hard to answer that, and we don't know. We don't have a lot of clarity. And what I want to encourage us with is that God is actually very clear in his word about what his will is for us. It says that it's God's will that you should be sanctified, be more grow in the likeness of Christ. It's God's will that you should give thanks in all, in all things. And we know very clearly that God has commissioned us to go and preach the gospel to every creature to make disciples of all nations. And so we actually have a lot to start with when we're starting to ask the question, what's God's will for me and what's God calling me to? We have, a, we, have a, we have a lot that God has given us that's very clear. Now, sometimes we don't, it's not maybe clear enough, or we don't know how to apply that or how to actually implement that in the circumstances of our life. But God is very clear, and I think that's important to remind us of, to, to remember that we know what God's call on our life is. God has a call and commission on our lives. If we can look at those passages that are up there. For we are his creation, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. This is Ephesians 2.10. This is an incredible passage. The Bible is telling us, Paul is telling us, as he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, that it's by grace that we're saved, through faith, not of ourselves, not by works, so no man shall boast, but that God, that we're his workmanship, that God has good works which he has prepared and foreordained for our lives to accomplish and fulfill. Do you believe that? Do you ever wonder kind of what those are? Have you, how many of you had an experience of a divine appointment where you've had a conversation or interaction. I remember a little while after I started doing ministry vocationally with FCA where, you know, you get caught up in, in you know, the, the day-to-day and all the routine, all the schedule and the structure and the ministry that you're trying to do. Uh, before that, I'd done a little bit more organic ministry, like going witnessing at farmers or jail ministry at, at the county jails, the chaplain and stuff. So I remember I was kind of had, like, my stuff I had to do and get done, and I went over to visit a friend really quick, and he wasn't there. I knocked on the door, but this other guy was there, and he started talking to me. And I was like trying to leave, and he was like, oh, yeah, you're friends with Ryan. He talked, he told me about you. He says, like, you believe in God, that you're like a strong Christian. He's like, I'm Jewish, but I don't really, I'm still kind of wondering. I was like, okay, that's great. You know, like, well, you know, I'm like trying to leave. He's like, yeah, and he's like asking, like saying all these spirits. I had never, I had no idea who the guy was. His roommate had just said these things. And I was like trying to get out of, like get out of there. Like, gosh, if this guy would just stop talking about God, you know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was like, Hello. You're in ministry, like, like, 
And we ended up talking for about 45 minutes and, and got, to, got to share with this guy, and it was a really cool thing. And it just was totally, it was the Lord. It was a divine appointment. But like I had to kind of like hit me upside the head to like recognize it. And it's just a reminder that God is at work in people's lives. We are his hands and his feet, his instruments. And sometimes we're in tune to what God is wanting to do through our lives locally and also what he might want to do through our lives for the cause of, of the unengaged, unreached people groups and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And, and we just maybe are oblivious to it. And I hope that after we leave this morning, we'll be more mindful of how God is wanting to use us to fulfill the Great Commission, to be about his work in the world. You receive that, that challenge? Jesus says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. The very first thing he said with his early disciples. He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus says, the Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what Jesus is about. It's not just about abundant life. It's not just about, you know, figuring out finances and relationships. All those are all important. Our, our faith, our worldview speaks to those things. But ultimately, it's about the adventure of what God is doing to redeem a fallen world to himself. And he invites us to be a part of that. Remember being in junior high and, and or maybe early high school and thinking about the gospel and hearing about this great commission. I think somebody was teaching something about the story of Joseph too or whatnot. But I just remember in my mind imagining like a desert. And maybe I'd seen the movie Aladdin recently too. I don't know. But it was like a desert. <laughs> and I remember just this like, like in my mind kind of looking over and seeing this, this entourage of like camels and stuff, like all this, ex- like warriors and all this exciting stuff going on over there. And it was, it was loud and it was shiny and it was, it was like exciting. And I was kind of over here by myself, just kind of alone. And in my, whatever, in this picture, it was like this was God's work in the world. God was on this mission. He was leading the charge and there were all of these people on this like really important expedition. And I remember just kind of looking and just being like, man, how cool would it be if I could be a part of that? How cool would it be if I could be a part of God's mission in the world? And it was like, yeah, but I'm just like this kid with acne and like random, you know, person in Santa Cruz Valley. Who knows where that is? But then I remember like going through high school and hearing that like the Great Commission applies to everybody. God's calling to fulfill it is, applies to each and every one of us. And then I, I remember being in, in high school, sitting in the back of this room at Hume Lake when this pastor gave this, sorry, uh, this pastor gave this, this message, and he was talking about this passage in 1 Corinthians 3.10-15. And it's, it's talking about how Paul is build, the master the builder, and he's building on the foundation, which is Christ. And nobody can build on any other foundation other than that, which is Christ. And he says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And then he goes on to talk about Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is getting this call, and he's before the throne room, and there's the angel with the tongs, and he's a man of unclean lips. And I know in my life there's, there's sin in my life. And this angel comes, and he cleanses Isaiah's lips. And then he says, whom will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And this youth pastor, this, this speaker at this camp he gave a, a challenge to us as, as youth in this room. He says, how many of you are willing to co- stand up and commit your life to full-time ministry? <laughs> I don't know. It was like a little bit of, like audacious of him, you know, but he just kind of asked this question. I remember being like, that sounds great, you know, like, yeah, 
like, and so I remember standing up in the back of this, this, this room, like, here I am, Lord, send me. And then the next day, a man named Brad Buser gave this hardcore talk about the, the need to reach people in Papua New Guinea in the bush area, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, what I signed myself up to, like, I had read about Josh McDowell preaching on college campuses and debating atheists, that sounded cool, but Papua New Guinea, like, oh my gosh. But that was a beginning phase of God saying, Luke, I have a call in your life. I want, to be, I want to use you to make a difference in the world. And he has that same call on each of our lives. So the point is, I want to make sure I make this point. God has general, a general will for all of us that we would be sanctified, that we give thanks to all things, all, all that. He has a general commissioning for each of us that we make disciples of all nations, that we love God and love people. We follow the great commandment, the great commission. But he also has a specific will and a specific calling on our lives. And to figure that out, Really, we need to take the time to understand how God has gifted us, how he has wired us, what opportunities has he positioned before us. And we really need to be intentional to take the time to grow our own self, have some self-assessment, self-awareness of who God has made us, to get, seek the confirmation and validation from others as we seek to serve the Lord. And that rather than kind of waiting and wondering until we have it all figured out, that we would just move forward and take steps of faith and obedience, like Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is like, hey, I don't know if it was selfish or whatever. Let's go to Cyprus first. I know people there. We got a place we could stay. Let's start there. Maybe you have a connection in some country, a relationship with somebody you know. Hey, God's called me to be about the Great Commission. I know this person in wherever, Dubai. That's kind of cool. Just start there. So we need to take steps of faith, and then God will continue to reveal and lead and guide. There are many times Paul wanted to go to Rome, and he was hindered. He wanted to go to Macedonia. He was hindered. But he was being active and obedient to the Lord, and then the Lord directed and guided him along the way. Now, many years later, looking back at that time when I was a kid, when I stood up at that thing, I never would have thought that, you know, my life has been a lot crazier than I would have, have ever thought or imagined. The Lord said, I've been to like 21 countries now doing ministry, and, um, or traveled to 21 countries, done ministry and training leaders in 11 or 12 countries around the world with all kinds of crazy experiences and stories and injuries and all kinds of stuff. And it has been an adventure. It has been a crazy road. But I wouldn't trade it for anything because I believe 100% that God's vision, God's dream, God's plan of what he wants to do to your life is far greater than anything you could ever plan or dream or envision for your life. There may be hardships. There may be some difficulties. There may be some times of stress. But man, one day we're going to come before God and we have to give an account of our life. You think of the parable of the talents. One day, God will look at our lives, and were we just building with wood, hay, and straw, temporary things that only have earthly value, or were we building with eternal things, gold, silver, precious stones, things that last? There are, Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. So how might God be wanting to use your life to fulfill the Great Commission? Part, point two, we are called to love God, love people, and make disciples. We talked about that. We must learn to steward what God has entrusted to us in order to fulfill his call in our lives. And I think this goes back to the other part. How many of you ever taken a, um, like a, like a spiritual gifts test? Have you ever taken a spiritual gifts test? Some people in here. Or maybe a personality test, like a temperament test, or strength finders, or those kind of things. Those are really valuable as you start to think about, Lord, how have you gifted me? How have you wired me? I used to think that Lord was maybe leading me to be a pastor when I was doing Calvary Chapel Bible College at Shoreline. I did a gifts test, and it was like, 
evangelism, apostleship, and teaching. And that apostleship part, I was like, what's, what's that mean, you know? And it's really this idea of, like, pioneering and starting new things. And, and it was affirming because a lot of times I didn't feel like I was, was wired as, like a, like, a shepherd or a pastor in that type of way. But I, I enjoyed, I, I was excited about starting new things and seeing, you know, being willing to do things that maybe other people weren't willing to do and so on. And so it helped me understand how God had gifted me to figure out where I would fit in the body of Christ and where I can make the greatest contribution. So maybe that's the first step for some of you is take some time to really do some self-assessment, to seek people's feedback and say, how has God wired me and gifted me? Where can I make the greatest contribution? And then where has he positioned you and placed you now? How can you, before we start thinking about doing all this other stuff elsewhere, in the workplace, in your family, are you being intentional about the great commandment, about the great commission where God has you? And then I would challenge us as a church body to remember, um, so we can go to that passage in, um, uh, after this one, which said, uh, the gospel must go to all the ends of the earth and then the end will come. For the eyes of the, oh, actually, okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Should go in order, you know, help him out a little bit. This is a powerful passage, too. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. God is lurk- looking. God is searching, saying, man, where is a man? Where is a woman? Where is a, a student whose heart is fully committed to me, who takes seriously the call that I have on their life so that I can strengthen them, that I can empower them for this work? Maybe that's you today. And then uh, the one, go to the next one. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all ethnos, and then the end will come. When we think about, you know, when will Jesus come back and eschatology, end time stuff, there's a lot of questions and discussion, a lot of debate. And obviously we know that nobody knows the day or the hour. He'll come like a thief in the night. But one thing that Jesus does make clear to us is that he's not going to come until every tribe, tongue, and nation, until every people group, every language group, has had a chance to hear the gospel, to hear the good news of Christ. We sit here and we enjoy God's word being taught regularly. There are people all over the world, in the 1040 window and elsewhere, who have never had a chance to hear the gospel. And that breaks God's heart. And he challenges us to say, what are we going to do to help to the advancement of the Great Commission, to the unreached, unengaged people groups of the world who have never had a chance? I was talking to a friend who was in town with his dad recently, and he was just traveling, I think Mozambique as well, doing some ministry and, and seeking out God's call in his life. He had a great job at an architecture firm in San Francisco. He left there and was just kind of wanting to be a part of the Great Commission. And his dad was sharing with me, his dad worked at a chemical plant for many, many years. And he says, you know, I'm 56 years old. I'm kind of near the end of my life. And I have some regret because I've never really done anything for God. What? Sorry, did I say? And Not that old, you're right, Sorry. <laughs> That's what I said to him. This is how he was feeling, because he was, he was, basically he was looking at his son, who's kind of has a lot, sorry. <laughs> we can at least edit on the podcast, the rest of you here, I apologize. <laughs> Much of his career, he had spent working at a, at a, at a um, chemical plant, and he was like, man, how cool would it be to go and be a missionary and go live in another country, do all this stuff. He's like, it's hard now because a lot of the things that were hindering him in his life. And I was trying to encourage him, man, there is still so much that you can do. There is so much that you can do. 
and a lot of things, a lot of times it's not even always going ourselves because there's so many incredible ministries like Wycliffe and others that are doing translation work, and, and we can bring awareness. We can support financially. We can, there's a lot of different ways that we can be a part of what God is doing to fulfill the Great Commission to the ends of the earth. And, and I think he was left excited and encouraged. Hope you guys leave excited and encouraged. Not <laughs> Because there is so much that we can do. There's an incredible book, Experiencing God by Blackaby, where he talks about this principle. He says that God is all at work all over the world. Our job is not to go do something for God, but to rather figure out where God is at work and to join him in it. And I think that's so true. God is at work in your family, in your workplace, here on the Central Coast and beyond. And we need to be intentional to be mindful of where is God at work and how can I join him in it. And I think as we do that, we'll be encouraged and um, we'll see those, those opportunities manifest and God will use us in powerful ways. So, review. Barnabas and Paul had a call and commission on their lives. And they began these missionary journeys. And there's some incredible journeys. I encourage you to, to continue to read and ask what takes place. And we'll study it a little bit more next week and so on. And there was opposition. There was hardship. But God used them to accomplish incredible work for the glory of God. And his call and commission is for us as well today. And he wants us to use us to do incredible things to fulfill the Great Commission, to demonstrate the love of God, to bring healing and redemption, to be salt, to be light in the workplace, in the world. And God will use us in mighty ways. So that's what I have for us this morning. Hopefully you feel challenged a little bit, hopefully encouraged. And I just want to um, just leave us with this, this realization that, you know, God wants to use us. He wants to invite us into this journey, just as he did these people in the, in the book of Acts. And so do you receive that call? Are you being intentional to live out God's commission on your life as well? Amen? Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for um, what you are doing all around the world. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here on the Central Coast, through this church. Lord, I thank you for the many places that people have traveled to, just in this room, to serve you. The many lives that have been touched or impacted. The many stories that could be shared and told. And Lord, I pray that this would just be the beginning. That you would continue to use us, Lord. To travel to unknown places, Lord, for, for your purposes, for your cause. Lord, that we would continue to take serious um, the gifts that you've been given us and that we would steward them to be your hands and your feet in our families, in the workplace, in the world. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts. We love you, Lord Jesus. Uh, and we submit this, uh, this morning to you. In Jesus' name, amen.